listening today. I want you to know that you're, you're welcome here. Uh, even if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, you're welcome here. And we, our hope and our prayer this morning is that we invite you to wrestle with these things. And we hope that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. And that you would come to know this Jesus who we're talking about and who we're singing about. Um, you may have already heard of him. And if you're visiting today and you are a follower of Christ, uh, we welcome you as well. Because uh, it's good to visit with and it's cool how the, the church is, we have local churches, but the church is also the entire body of Christ across the city, across this province, country, world. And in that, we uh, rejoice. So yeah, it's good to have you guys. So I've seen two main divisions in the text. Um, the first one is be holy, set apart, fearing the Lord. That's verses 13 to 21. And the second, I pulled a fast one on Seamus. Um, we're going to trickle into chapter 2, up to verse 3. So I'll read it again when we get there. Um, but that section is love one another. So that's from verse 22 on. These are calls to live a certain way, but our text is not merely a list of do's and don'ts because Christians are supposed to be good people. Uh, there's a, a greater motivation behind Peter's call. Peter's aim in writing these words was to remind them of the gospel so that by it and because of it, they would be holy, living in reverence, loving one another. I hope this is made clear as we walk through the text. But first, let's pray, and then we'll dive in together. Lord, thank you that you've redeemed us. Thank you that you've caused us to be born again to a living hope. I ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're saying through your word. I ask that you would give me grace that I would not speak more or less than what is the mind of your spirit in this passage. And I ask that you give us grace, that you would transform hearts, making people new, and that you would cause those who are your people to grow through your word and by your spirit. Amen. Amen? Amen. So, uh, first in context, you'll notice that uh, Seamus didn't start reading in 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, if you are here last week, you'll notice that we weren't in Peter. We were in Habakkuk, a book in the Old Testament. So I have a question for you. How many of you have received a letter? A letter from somebody? Especially like a personal letter of some kind at some point in your life? Upon receiving it, did you open up that letter and pick a paragraph somewhere down the page and just start reading from there? No. No, that, that would be weird. Um, wouldn't make sense. You'd miss who wrote it. You'd miss who was written to, though I hope that you had an indication of that before opening it. I guess that's illegal. Um, and you would miss why they're writing to you. So we're kind of doing that today. Uh, we just finished Habakkuk. Next week we're starting a series for the summer. We're going to be going through on prayer with uh, the church that meets before us. We'll be together. And um, so today we just did a glimpse into Peter. So I encourage you, if you have time this week or if you can make time, to go through and, and read First uh, Peter. It's not a long letter. But remember that's a letter. It was written by a specific person to a specific people. And there's a context there. So I just want to remind us of that context. Um, a brief summary. Peter is the one writing. And he's an apostle. 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now what that means is that he was sent from Christ. And so his, his words bear weight. He is a messenger of Christ. And so when, we, when he, he's writing to believers, they would recognize the authority with which he's writing. Unlike some letters in the New Testament, um, that they were, they were written to specific local churches in a specific city, First Peter is uh, he, Peter's writing to believers across the whole region, in the uh, would have been the Empire of Rome, back in back in the day, in the first century. These believers have been suffering to a degree, but they still rejoice in the in they rejoice in and love and believe in Jesus, although they've never seen him. Much like us. Peter reminds them of the riches of their salvation and tells of how this salvation was announced beforehand by the prophets and has now been announced by those who first preached the good news to them through the Holy Spirit. And so we arrive at our first section, Be Holy, Set Apart, Fearing the Lord. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you may have heard it said, by some, lots of people say this, that when you see therefore in the Bible, you should ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Right? I think it's maybe been said from up here before, or in a study, or in a book. It's important, um, because it, it tells us, it tells us that what, is about to be said, it's built on what was said before it. A brother by the name of Edmund Clowney, writing on this uh, passage, made an important note. The imperatives, or commands, of Christian living always begin with, therefore. Peter is about to call these believers to live in a certain way, but he reminds them first of what God has done. Without the work of God in those who believed in Jesus, any commands you see in Scripture would just be made to hopeless, helpless sinners, and we would just be more <laughs> like, thanks, Peter. But we are empowered to live this Christian life, to follow these commands, only because of the new life that has been given to us by Christ's Spirit, by His Spirit. Peter tells them to prepare their minds for action. So, on a Sunday morning, I don't know how warm this building's feeling, but I call you guys that too. We need to prepare our minds for action. This, uh, and, and be sober-minded. And this sober could possibly reference uh, alcohol, other substances, getting, getting drunk, but I think Peter is calling for more than that. In chapter 4 of this letter, um, he connects sober-mindedness and self-control with having an effect on our prayers. So, being sober-minded has an effect on our prayers. And in chapter 5, he tells them to be sober-minded and resist the devil. And so, Peter's calling them to an alertness. And, and that, phrase, that phrase, prepare your minds for action, the literal translation of that is, gird up the loins of your, mi of your mind, which... You're probably thankful that that's not how it's translated, because, right? But in the East, especially the ancient Eastern culture, um, men would wear more of a robe. I didn't wear one today. I thought about it. Rebecca was wise, wiser than I am. 
Um, but what, what this is calling them to, it's, it's referring to the custom where they would gather the, the robe from within them and they'd pull it up through the legs and they'd tuck it into their belt or tie it around their waist so they could run or if there was, they're called action suddenly or if there was work to be done. And so pa- Peter paints this picture of us doing that with our mind. So it's kind of abstract, but it also calls us to something. We must be alert and watchful, setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These believers had faced various trials, and I know many of you have, you have too. Some of you are walking through these things right now, and it's really hard. Um, our body, different people in our body are going through different pains. And if you think back to what we just read in Habakkuk, Habakkuk was crying out to the Lord because of the violence and the brokenness around him. And you don't have to look in the news long to relate to that, to see that. And so, y- so you might, like Habakkuk, cry out, How long, O Lord? And many of you, in the midst of what you're going through now, whether it's sickness, whether it's whether you're being challenged, tried because of your faith, whether you're being wrongfully accused, you too might be crying out, How long, O Lord? In the letter of James, which is right before Peter in your Bibles, James encourages the believers to count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Likewise, Peter encourages them in verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter 1 by telling them how they rejoice in the future grace that they have in Christ, even though they now are facing various trials. That grace is the second coming of Christ when everything will be made known, and as it is written, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And it says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So we must prepare our minds for action so that we can set our hope fully on what we are promised in Christ, what we are going to receive when he comes. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. There's a contrast here between being holy and conforming to the passions of their former ignorance. Peter references later on in this book how the time has passed for living as the Gentiles do, which is a reference to those who who don't know Christ and who we were (laughs) apart from Christ before. Um, You and me, this is who I was. 
In part, it's, the, it's these passions of our flesh which Christ has saved us from. To be holy means to be set apart. But we're going to expound on, on what that means, what Peter's saying in this. In verse 16, he's quoting Leviticus. Leviticus is a book of the law which God gave to the people of Israel. There are three places, there's three places in Leviticus where this, this phrase, to be, be holy as I am holy, is found. Two of the times it is found, there's a direct reference to, the, to Israel's relationship to God. And they both parallel aspects of our present salvation in Christ. In one place, the Lord says, For I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Later in this letter, Peter speaks of how we who are in Christ have been made a people of his own possession. We were not a people, but now we have been made a people. Together we have been set apart, holy, to belong to him. In the second place, it says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Um, you may recall, and if you don't, that's fine, but you may recall the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, much like we were slaves to sin and to the passions of our flesh. But God saved us from this. As Peter says, we have been ransomed from our futile ways. Now looking at verse 17, if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Why fear? We call on him as father, but we're supposed to fear? Some people um, often explain the fear of the Lord by quoting a passage from the Old Testament where it is, it is said, Quote, every one of you shall revere or fear his mother and his father. They explain the fear of the Lord by comparing it to the way a child might fear his parents, or is supposed to fear his parents. Um, think back to when you were a child. All right? Uh, some of us, it's a little closer. Um, can you remember a time, maybe even just once, Maybe, maybe just one time where perhaps you were drawn to do something that your parents had said not to do or that you knew they wouldn't be proud of or they explicitly said not to do. What did you do? If it was just that one time. Some of us have a much larger plethora of uh, resources to pull from. What did you do? I know for me there was times I didn't care. I went ahead and did it. And you better believe that I suffered the consequences for my actions. Um, but there, uh, there was other times when perhaps knowing what those consequences would be and fearing my parents, I obeyed them. This illustration is actually more, more relevant to our text than you might first see. Remember, remember that I said there's, there's three places where this phrase, be holy as I'm holy, is quoted in Leviticus. The third place is found in chapter 11 of Leviticus, verses 44 and 45. And I'm going to read 45 and 46. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. It's right there. Peter is telling them as obedient children to be holy as their heavenly father is holy. 
When it says to conduct ourselves with fear, there's a connection between this and obedience. Peter is calling them to a holy obedience. But it says that the one whom we call on as father, quote, judges impartially according to each one's deeds. He judges. When we read of God's judgment in the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament and in the Bible, it can, be, it can be misunderstood. Some have come to believe that because of God's grace to us in Christ, there's no longer any accountability between us and God. We're not going to, like, on that day when it says that Jesus is going to judge, that we won't stand before him because we've been forgiven and it's all good. Others have taken the warnings of God's judgment to mean that God will make his final verdict based on our, our works, like, and the initial salvation. So it's not that we're merely saved in Christ. We also have to perform a certain way or else we're going to go to hell. Like, we, it, it's grace and works. But I want to argue that this isn't the case. Um, and if you want to argue with me, we can look through the scriptures together. Um, the scriptures do point to God's final judgment. Jesus himself will be the judge on that day. And often in writing to churches, to believers in the New Testament, there are these warnings about the judgment are found. But the word of God also assures us that the verdict for those of us who are in Christ has already been decided. We are justified in Christ. So when we stand before Christ on that day, you are in Christ. Christ's merit, Christ's life, he lived the perfect holy life. That's attributed to us. But not all, the scriptures warn, and this is hard, but not all who claim to be in Christ will necessarily be saved. For we will all stand before him, and our deeds will be made known to all. Not as the means of our being accepted. It's not our deeds that justify us. But to show that we truly have faith in Christ, that we have truly come to know him and believe in him. It will show whether we have actually believed in him at all. As Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So their unfaithfulness will reveal the emptiness of their profession. And it continues, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But Lord willing, that will not be any of you. For if indeed you have trusted in Christ, you can set your hope fully on that day. And as we sung, you can rejoice when Christ comes back. Because you will be found in him and you will be with him. And he will wipe away every tear and pain. So we are to be holy, conducting ourselves with fear. Verse 18 knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When God created man and woman, he said that it was good. It was good. Man was in right relationship with God and walked with him. That was man's purpose. 
But man turned from God, disobeying him. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Thinking they were wise, they became foolish, as it is written. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts or passions of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The scriptures tell us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, slaves to sin and to our heart's desires. When we rejected God, we became slaves to sin and we died spiritually. This is what we have inherited from our forefathers, the futile life of striving after empty things, the things that do not profit, whatever our hearts desire. And when our desires clash with those around us, what does it bring forth? Things such as malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Peter references these things at the beginning of chapter 2. But this is not God's purpose for us. We were made to desire God, to love and worship him, and to walk with him. When Peter was writing this, slavery was still being practiced uh, in the Roman Empire. I don't know if it stopped being practiced in the Roman Empire. Um, um, And also there was slavery back when the law was given to the people of Israel. There was provision made uh, both in, in, in the Roman culture and the Greek culture of the day and also within the law given to the Israelites for a slave to be redeemed that is brought back, bought back, purchased perhaps by a family member or someone else to regain their freedom. In a similar way, we have been brought back. We have been purchased. We've been bought from being slaves to sin and to the desires of our flesh and we have been reconciled to God. But not by mere silver or gold. You have been purchased not by mere silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A life for a life. Christ's blood shed for you. And we have been, thanks be to God. (laughs) Peter tells us to fear, but not just because of our Father's judgment but knowing his salvation, knowing the lengths to which he has gone to purchase us, to draw us as a people to himself. How can we who have been freed from sin go on sinning deliberately? Chapter 20, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised them from the dead and gave them glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. What does it mean that he was foreknown? It means that, that this is not plan B, or C, or D. This is not plan B. This is God's plan. From before he even laid the foundations of the world, this was his plan, so that his glory would be made known. But what does it say? not just for that the glory, his glory would be made known. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. For the sake of you. 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I want you guys to be, this, this is a hard passage in a sense, it's a warning, but it's, it's a hopeful passage, and I want you guys to be encouraged that you're loved by God. Because of the salvation, because of the salvation we have been given in Christ, saved from the slavery of sin, let us be holy, set apart for him, conducting ourselves with fear. Now the second section. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You who have come to believe in Christ have been ransomed from your empty ways of life and been ransomed from your guilt. You have been set free to live holy lives in reverent obedience to Christ. But what does Christ require us to obey? What is his command? It is written, quoting Jesus, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are to love one another. But this is not an entirely new. But this is not entirely new. For Jesus said that the law in which it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, is summed up in two commands. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that it's the way we love one another that will show that we are actually his disciples. It will show that we actually have come to hope in Christ. And that's what's going to set us apart. How are we to be holy? How are we to be set apart? We are to be holy in the way that we love one another earnestly. But why? Since you have been born again, what does it mean to be born again? <laughs> Jesus has said, and quoted in Matthew, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. But upon hearing the good news concerning Jesus Christ and believing in him, we were given new life in him. When we repent of our sins, turning from our wicked and futile ways and believe in Jesus Christ, we are born again. This is not merely an analogy. This is a spiritual reality in our souls. And he compares this to procreation, <laughs> human procreation. In the same way that you were formed in your mother's womb by the physical seed, so now you who are in Christ have been born again by the spiritual seed of the word concerning Christ. And Peter draws a difference between these two. All flesh is like grass. 
and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Sometimes we can go on in life, and especially in our, in our Western society, and we, we can turn a blind eye to death. But that's not always the case. Sometimes death is painfully apparent. And sometimes, especially in youth, people think, we think that, that we have a long life ahead of us. We, think, we don't even think about the fact that our lives are short. Every man and woman walking this earth right now will die. Our physical bodies are not immortal. As much as we try to ignore it, it's wasting away. But those who are in Christ have been born again spiritually by the living and abiding word of God, which is imperishable. This is how we know our hope is sure. The word of the Lord remains forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's talking about a new birth, and now he's talking about being newborn infants. I always read this passage, and I never, it never struck me the way it did um, after reading it as a young father. Um, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. It's like, oh yeah, cool, babies need milk. Boy, do they ever. <laughs> what is this pure spiritual milk? I think in context, it's the word of God. And by and also in scripture, we see that by it's through the word that we grow, we grow into maturity in Christ. We grow into our knowledge of Christ. Do we long for it, church? Do we long for it? I often don't. But when we taste and see, that starts to change. Like newborn infants, like. My son Micah, who right now must be very satisfied because he's been wonderfully quiet. Um, 
long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may draw up into salvation. And this is why you have to go read the rest of First Peter because he's going to talk more and it's beautiful. And it finishes, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Church, if you are in Christ, through whatever pain or trials you're going through right now, whether it's you or whether it's a loved one, set your hope fully on the grace on the day when our Jesus is coming back. Be holy, set apart, but loving one another earnestly. It says earnestly. Knowing that you have been ransomed from your old ways by the precious blood of Christ and have been given new life in Christ. Love one another earnestly. And to you who are here this morning, who haven't trusted in this Jesus, who shed his blood that you could be brought back to God, turn to him. Jesus is good. Our Lord is good. For it says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Turn from your sin and your futile ways and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him there's life and peace and hope. And if you're in him, take hold of that life and peace and hope. God is going to judge one day. And apart from the salvation that is found in Christ alone, no one will be saved. This is why we're praying for those three people. <laughs> or more or less. We just, we need to pray. Um, if we love the world around us. And this is why we are to be holy, because God's church is on display. And a lot of people, you talk to coworkers or people on the street, and you mention you're a Christian or you go to church, and they might laugh and mock because they've seen church, they've seen Christians. The Lord is faithful, and we as Christians, we do stumble. Holiness doesn't mean never stumbling that's why we came to Christ in the first place. Let's pray. <sighs> Lord, I thank you that you have redeemed us, you have ransomed us by your blood and that you've caused us to be born again to a living hope. I pray that by your Spirit, you would encourage my brothers and sisters in this. That it would be the foundation of their life and their hope and how they live. I pray that for myself too, because I'm with them. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.